Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Hassan with another episode of the Influence Continuum. And today we have Dr. Melanie Trowbridge, who's a licensed naturopathic doctor in the state of Washington. And if you don't know about naturopathy, this is your woman, because we're going to get into it today. We're also going to have a very interesting conversation about AI and what's going on online and mental health. But let me just, if you don't mind, Melanie, I'll, I'll uh, say some more things, nice things about you. Um, you're in private practice, but you also work with a local nonprofit called Inside Health Institute. You work with all persons, but focus on women in disaffected and disadvantaged communities, as well as women who've been trafficked. You are their engagement director. You're a member of the American and Washington Association of Naturopathic Physicians, attended the accredited university focused on natural medicine, Bastier. Did I say, pronounce that correctly? That's correct, yeah. You're also an ordained minister for interfaith celebrant ceremonies, and you are for peace and happiness and love and goodness, all the things we believe in freedom of mind, the power of coming together connecting communities with different collaborative projects. And, um, but you were a techie before you became a physician, if I'm remembering correctly. You worked at, in Seattle in the 90s at Microsoft headquarters, Expedia, Conquer uh, Technologies, ground floor technical support for large-scale software rollouts on global server systems. And you strongly believe in ethical AI development in medical fields. Recently took a six-week course on AI in healthcare at the MIT Sloan uh, program. So, and I'm particularly interested in you, your, your healing, but also the interface of technology, because I am just really feeling like Humans were not created to be in digital space eight to 12 hours a day, <laughs> unregulated social media. So I want to pick your brain, if I may, and ask you to share your expertise and how you see what the 2024 is doing to us. I'd be delighted. Yeah, I would definitely be delighted. Great. So where to start? Uh, do you want to start with the, the explain naturopathic medicine, maybe? We'll start with that and then go into AI. That's a, that's a great place to start. So um, I come from a uh, family of medical persons. Uh, my father was in the Navy uh, in uh, nursing and training in the military, um, so I grew up around hospital atmospheres. Mm -hmm. uh, my mother is a neuropsychologist. Uh, so much of my life, um, I kind of grew up in a, a medical atmosphere. And so um, after my stint in technology, um, I really looked into going into medicine and what and what going into medicine could offer not me, but 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 patients and my community around me. Mm -hmm. And what I came to find was that I didn't really fit into a lot of the um, ideas uh, in Western medicine. I, I grew up, uh, because I was a military child, I grew up in Japan mm. uh, for a brief period of time. And, um, and I, I really, I guess you would say, gelled with Eastern 
philosophies mm-hmm, mm-hmm. a little bit uh, more uh, in medical or healthcare settings. Mm-hmm. So when I when I uh, started with uh, looking into Bastyr University, uh, one I wanted to make sure that we were still a science based university. Right. That's that was something that was really important to me uh, because I do believe in fact based science based medicine. Yep. And I wanted to make sure that we were on a good page with that. Mm-hmm. And I found that was definitely true. Um, the thing that really uh, gelled with my personality was uh, the six principles of naturopathic medicine uh, that Bastier uh, proclaims, which is basically that you treat people, one, as an individual. Every patient is different. Mm-hmm. And every patient comes in with their autonomy as a patient. Mm-hmm. So that was really important to me, is to make sure that I was respecting the autonomy of each patient. Um, the other thing that really uh, I liked about it was this idea of, uh, they, they, they call it the vis. Um, it's the vis medicatrix uh, naturae, but it's basically stimulating and supporting the body's own mechanisms of healing. Mm-hmm. And that really uh, was something that I believed in strongly, is that uh, each of us has abilities to heal, and if we can stimulate those abilities to heal, then we can get to good places. Mm-hmm. The other thing, uh, so then there's uh, to identify the root cause of what the problems are. Um, I used to, a long time ago, I was uh, in a journalism track Mm. at uh, University of Florida. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of the things that I really liked was, again, the idea of Mm fact-checking and fact-based philosophies. Mm -hmm. And so to me, when you identify the root cause of a problem, whether that be in medicine, in society... Um, or in other types of healthy relationships, then you you basically by identifying the root cause, then you can get to a better solution. Sure. So I really like that. Um, some of the other things was um, they they believe in addressing things as naturally as possible and as gently as possible. And we can talk about um, as we go on how that might look in a technological or AI driven future. Great. Like how do we? Uh, continue to address things as naturally and gently as possible when we're looking at things like neural implants or um, other technological implantations into humans. Mm -hmm. So that really interests me from from that aspect. And then also just to teach patients, that's a real big doctrine in naturopathic medicine, is that by teaching people about their bodies, how their bodies naturally function— then you get to this new level where the patient is driving their health. And I think that that really fits into my, my feelings and probably probably with uh, freedom of mind. I was going to uh, say, myself. you are singing my uh, beliefs as a clinician every single point. And I really do believe we are embodied minds and that part of mind control is that we're separated from our bodies and we're cut off from really tuning in because our bodies are often telling us, get out of there, this is not okay. And then we override it if we're in a mind control thing. Anyway, I want you to continue. I also want to mention my niece is a anesthesiologist but by training, but went into naturopathic medicine. So uh, anyway, there's a family connection to this uh, approach, which I love. I think everything is, makes so much sense. 
It really did make sense to me. And I think that was something that was really important to me because I did come from such a fact-based, mm. science-based. I mean, we we grew up on research articles and NIH studies. Yep. So um, to me, that was the part that I, um, I really wanted to make sure when going into uh, naturopathic medicine that I was respecting um, the idea that there are things that we know mm. about the human body and there are things that we know about anatomy and physiology, yep. um, uh, oncology, gastroenterology, neurology. These are things that we already know and we've already established. Um, but there's also some things that we don't um, perhaps fully understand in human evolution mm -hmm. and in the human body. So the last, just to just to make sure that we round out those points. Please, that, um, and we'll add this to the blog. We'll list all six points for people to get a little summary. Uh, great. Yeah. Great, because I think it is really important. Those principles of naturopathic medicine um, are really important to how people practice. Mm -hmm. And so the last one is, is just prevent illness when possible. And I think that that's the other part that really, um, as soon as I came out from school, I started, um, I had the fortunate um, situation of doing public speaking for one of our local hospital systems. Mm -hmm. Um, and going around and presenting um, more kind of uh, standard healthcare uh, topics mm -hmm. in a naturopathic way. Mm -hmm. And so I visited a lot of senior centers, a lot of the county um, facilities, and did uh, a lot of talks. And they wanted me, again, uh, to come from that place of uh, integrative, holistic, alternative but also fact-based. And so mm. when you're working in doing research uh, and then as well um, speaking to, let's say, for instance, uh, I've spoken to a lot of hospitals. Yep. Um, and you're speaking to, you know, gastroenterologists, for instance, right. um, endocrinologists. Um, they not only want to hear how you're going to implement this holistic idea, but then they also want to hear What's your facts behind it? Yeah. Where did you get this research from? So, yeah. So I guess I can't. I, I want. I there's so much more I want to say, but I have to ask you because we're experiencing this radical surge in COVID and respiratory illness about wearing a mask indoors in a crowded environment. Because I wear a mask in a crowded indoor environment. Um. What do you, what what sayeth thou about naturopathic fact based approaches to what well, you know this whole topic? That is such a great question. We, you know, um, in our community, luckily I, I'm part of a collaborative community mm -hmm. of naturopathic uh, doctors as well as um, mental health counselors and other persons mm -hmm. uh, of medical intent, and so. It's really great to um, have that team, I guess you'd say, yep. um, so that you can kind of talk about, well, what are you seeing on your side of things? Um, like, how is this affecting mental health? Um, and so I think, again, we have to go back to that idea of treating the individual, mm. but also protecting the greater society, right? Right. I mean, it's a two—I uh, really love the idea of the balance scales. Whenever I get confused about life, 
I go back to that balance scale, mm. right? Like um, on one hand, we have on that balance scale this idea that an individual may be suffering their men- with their mental health um, from being more isolated, um, maybe due to a disability um, mm. or a immune vulnerability. Right. Um, and then on the other side of the scale, you know, we see as well um, this idea that we need to protect each other in society. Right. Um, so I, I think when it comes to things like, you know, vaccinations, masking, um, these are conversations that I think require a great deal of care as well as uh, patient autonomy. But we also have to be very careful about looking out for the most vulnerable in society. Right. Yeah. So so for me personally, um, if I am in a situation uh, where it's um, it's better to mask, let's say large situation, we just came back from everyone flying across the country. Right. <laughs> Um, and now yeah, there's a big surge of of uh, mm-hmm. in- incidents because of that, um, and and people coughing and being sick and not testing and saying I'm right. not feeling that bad, but not thinking about all of their relatives and friends they're going to be exposing. Right. So I, I think uh, recently we had a um, an exposure here, mm-hmm. uh, and you know, it, 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 the first thing I did was run upstairs and take a test. You know, it's just it's that easy. It's just really easy to just um, you know think about the people that are around me, um, and I would really encourage others to just you know think about not only what they need in their health, but also as a as a greater society, what we can do to help protect each other. Right. And I'll just add, you know, uh, there are masks and there are masks. And then there are masks that are worn below the nose. <laughs> and, and, and you know, 95s that are worn properly. And if you're going to wear a mask, they should be good masks and they should be worn properly. Yeah, yeah. I, and I think there are times um, where... Uh, maybe we get together as a group in, in my family. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe we get together as a group and we've all agreed, you know, um, it's okay. We're all feeling okay with not masking in that situation. I think we're all, you know, we we all at this point have this kind of idea of what is it going to look like going forward. Yeah. And it, and it may look like um, treating on a day-to-day basis, mm-hmm. depending on if I wake up with a little bit of a scratchy throat, it's no big deal for me to throw on a mask and go, right. you know, into public. <laughs> right. Here in Massachusetts and health hospitals, people are all wearing masks again because okay. I guess they're measuring the wastewater content of COVID and it's up a certain percentage and it's like, nope, we got to do masks again. Although I don't think it's a mandated, uh, but it's okay. you know it's mandated within private hospital institutions, but not for everybody. But let let's go on because so far um, we've established a, a really a wonderful, in my opinion, I'm biased because it's resonating with me, uh, a mind body communal consciousness where we're trying to do minimum to help the body heal itself, to, to prevent people from feeling isolated, to, uh, I love collaborative team approaches to uh, issues because, you know, frankly, nobody's perfect. Nobody nope. has the perspective, but if you have a group together that you trust 
And especially if somebody gets designated as the contrarian and you can rotate that role to just, mm-hmm. you know, whatever we're talking about, you take the contrarian position. Um, it's just, it elevates everyone towards a, a, a search for truth. I agree. I agree. It is a really, it's a nice environment um, coming um, out of uh, the COVID kind of staying at home and mm. doing more uh, Zoom meetings. We all got very good mm. at uh, at Zoom meetings during that time. But as we're kind of coming into this in the, into this different space, and I, I'd say it's different, but some things are are still uh, challenging. Like we mentioned, we just had, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas for many of us, yeah. or holiday season for for all of us. And um, when we came out of these these uh, places where we traveled all the way across the country, mm-hmm. we've realized like, oh, okay, well, flu is up. Uh, right. And so, but but we're also trying to go on with our lives. Right. Um, and so it's really nice, I think, to to have all this um, these people around these these trusted individuals around mm-hmm. that you can uh, kind of bounce ideas off of. Yeah, uh, I think it's a I think it's a really innate aspect of medicine, especially ethics, mm. me- uh, medical ethics. Yeah, um, that we learn a lot by that. Yeah. So let's let I'm gonna ask you to talk more about the technology side and what right. you're seeing and, you know, because frankly, people like Jeff Hinton, who uh, resigned from Google and said, you know, I'm really worried about emergent technology that uh, we're creating super minds that are out of control that the, we're, we're not controlling the technology and it's 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 a runaway train in a sense so I would love to hear your your thoughts and your recommendations well I'm, I'm really honored um one of, one of the thoughts is I really enjoyed I took I took your course mm. uh, on um, uh, on healthcare and um, cults for healthcare. Yeah. Uh, um, and I, I think it was called Cults for Professionals, was it? Yeah. So I, a foundational course, Understanding mm-hmm. Cults, and I have one for clinicians with CE. Great. And, and one for everybody else that wants to learn but doesn't need the, uh, the psychological CE credits or the medical credits. Well, I really enjoyed. Uh, I, I really enjoyed it because um, I felt like in um, healthcare right now, we, we really need to kind of up our game, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, technology hit healthcare um, in a way that I don't think we all saw coming. We knew there was an. Uh, we knew there was a shift from ICD nine to ICD ten, and we all thought, "Oh, we're getting more uh, diverse in how we're selecting." Um, health uh, quantitative data mm-hmm. or, or qualitative data, um, but but then the question came: um, so why are we doing this? And um, as we're kind of discovering in healthcare, is a lot of us are kind of waking up to this artificial intelligence reality that is now in healthcare, and looks like it's here to stay mm-hmm. in healthcare. So what I decided to do was, um, in my life, in in my um, in my book, what I do when I get a little afraid of something, is I try to investigate more. Yeah. Like what <laughs> what information? Who's the experts out there? Um, and what information do they have to offer me 
on artificial intelligence. And I, I kind of felt like a little bit of the um, person of the field that needed to go into that because of my uh, background in technology. Sure. I felt kind of um, set up for going into that. Mm -hmm. So I actually worked um, in uh, Microsoft uh, headquarters as a contractor in a server lab uh, back in Windows 2000. Mm -hmm. And it was a, a pretty eye-opening experience for me. I was uh, one, I think there were maybe two women mm -hmm. working in that closed server integration lab for Windows 2000. Um, it was myself and one other woman. And then it was all, the rest were, were gentlemen. Um, and um, I, we can talk about the good and the bad of that. Um, but what I can say is that it really opened my eyes to the tech world and what the tech world is focused on. The tech world is focused on achievement rapidly and um, an integration of server systems or integration of database technology uh, in a very rapid way. Mm. I remember uh, when I worked with, uh, when I worked at uh, Concur Technologies, there was a database uh, developer who I sat in his office. This was a long time ago. And he kind of laid out what data warehousing looked like and how that would be used uh, at the checkout counter, um, how that would be used to uh, perhaps track different aspects of our systems, and then ultimately um, how that could down the road. And he, he actually sat there and kind of predicted uh, artificial intelligence and how eventually we will get to the point um, where uh, there's a very good level of knowledge about who we are as innate individuals and what our preferences are. So that can be a good thing or a bad thing. Right. When it comes to healthcare, it can be a very intimidating thing. Yeah, and that was before the uh, development of digital uh, healthcare records, right? 2000? That's correct, yes, yes. So now we have um, this, this digital uh, recording systems, um, and they are, you know, uh, we do use uh, HIPAA, protected yeah. um, information. Um, but from what I understand, um, once that data is stripped out, uh, any of the HIPAA uh, points are stripped out, um, there are companies not only utilizing uh, health data, but also um, using our health data uh, on our little digital devices that we wear, you know, and there's not a lot of confidential information. There's not a lot of protection for those uh, little digital devices that we wear to track our sleep, to track our eating habits, yep. uh, to track, you know. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I, I read Nita Farahani's book, Battle for the Brain. She is a, a law professor, and she's very, very concerned about cognitive security is her term, that all of this you know, these headbands are being created to monitor our brain activity, not only that, but our heart and our re breathing, et cetera. And there's no data privacy uh, protections. And people are trying these things out, whether it's for video gaming or whatever, and they just want the enjoyment of the or the ease of function, but there's no thought of, can some bad actor buy my information and create an AI uh, algorithm that can make me believe in QAnon 
or make me believe I'm, I'm a space alien from another dimension. And I believe that's what's happening right now by bad actors, whether it's Russia, China, Iran, North Korea, or Christian right-wing extremists using psyops intentionally to create polarization and confusion. So I'm freaked out personally. I'm just very, very worried. Uh, I, I think I think there's reason to, and we'll go back to those, you know, the the balancing, mm. right? And that's what I what I keep bringing myself back to, so I can sleep at night. Um, there there is um, one of the reason one of the reasons I went into the MI AI and healthcare is I wanted to see. Uh, I knew MIT Sloan would be a reputable. Uh, organization. Yep. Um, I, I'd worked with their climate uh, inroads, uh, artificial intelligence um, monitoring of, mm. of climate, and and a way to basically breach uh, the climate divide, if you will. Mm. So I knew that they were an organization that was working in technology to help assist uh, humanity in going forward in a more healthy way. Mm. And so there was someone I trusted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I came out of the course, I should say, um, with with a with a level of you know new knowledge, but also uh, still maintaining that trust. Um, but there's also some things that I do have concern about. Um, so some of the good things I would say about um, what I see in artificial intelligence uh, technologies uh, that really excite me are this idea that um, patients are bringing in. They're bringing in their, you know, their Fitbit. They're bringing in their, mm. you know, their their Google Watches or whatever they're bringing in to, to basically uh, monitor their health data. And they're willing to share that with me in an office setting. Mm-hmm. Um, this is my sleep records for the last, you know, so on and so. And so it's kind of neat from a, a medical perspective, the idea that um, you don't just get this like, you know, um, time with this patient, but you get this long-term... Uh, look at their overall health, and you know that they're looking at it too. So that that helps with preventative uh, health, and it's neat to see people taking an interest in their health. Yeah, as well. and sleep is so vital, and we're sleep deprived as a country. Uh, but it's going back to naturopathic. You know, you want the body to heal itself, and but you need that sleep—seven to nine hours of quality sleep. And so many people are not getting that. So I hear what you're saying. It's true. It's true. And so I do like the idea mm-hmm. that people are interested in their health. And um, but I but I I do question where is that data all going? Like if I'm able to look at it in the office, where's it all going? Right. And and who who is the ethical um, supervisor behind that? Like you and I, uh, as in the in the medical healthcare and psychology pr- fields, we have um, certain standards that we're held to. Right. You know, um, and we have certain legal organizations that watch us and make sure yep. that we're holding to those standards. Yep. <laughs> there in the tech field, there there is, to my knowledge, um, I don't really think there's any kind of ethical. You know, these guys are just. Uh, and I say they're mostly guys. Uh, we have only 22 to 26 percent uh, women mm. in um, artificial intelligence, mm-hmm. and the diversity is pretty low too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we have a lot of um, kind of the um, that drive going in of let's let's get the newest system, let's get it out there, 
And then there's the question of who has it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the Center for Humane Technology, who did Social Dilemma documentary, Aza Raskin and Tristan Harris are really trying to blow the whistle and say, we need technology that serves humans and not us serving the technology. And they just talk about this competitive, you know, uh, uh, energy that rushes forward because they don't want their competition to develop something faster than them. But that just gets rid, you know, because the incentive is money and having more market share. So Microsoft is, you know, bought into OpenAI with their Edge browser. Google's trying has their own version of AI that they're trying to get out in Chrome. And there are all these other competing AI systems, but you know, these the 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 folks who are the ethicists are going, where is this going, people? There are no guardrails. And they they succeeded in getting Biden to write an executive order, a step in the right direction about AI. But business is way ahead of government and always will be, I'm afraid. I'd agree. And I, th- I think I, I read that um, that White House uh, briefing, I, I think you'd call it, would be uh, on AI and mm. how the, the plans for rollout. And it's it's a good step. Mm-hmm. It's a really good step. And then we have uh, in the euro, they also, uh, European Union Union just came out with a uh, their own right. version. So, it, so it's great to see uh, nations in general um, coming forward and saying, hey, there does need to be some ethical guidelines around this because it's developing very rapidly. Yes. Um, and then there's the, there's the question of neural implants. Um, that's that's something that's definitely on my mind. Yeah, please um, share. I, I think I think again, the ability for technology to become um, really helpful, in the range of disability, otherwise ability, um, is fantastic. I really love, um, I've I've watched a lot of the demonstrations of uh, the neural implants um, from different companies Mm to see again that that idea that, you know, we can't fear these things and just keep fearing them. We have to, we have to learn them. And so, you know, um, it's really neat to see someone with ALS being able to communicate uh, via a neural implant, right. uh, um, that's really neat, and and I think that uh, for some people this can be revolutionary for getting them out of this loneliness space where they can't communicate. Um, yes. On the other hand, yeah, as as we start to go into things like we're, we're talking about where this can go, uh, that's when I got a little bit like. Concerned, right. um, they started talking about what about anxiety dis, uh, disorders? What about depression, chronic depression? Could we use it in chronic depression? Um, could we use it in? And they started going down this list of other areas that neural implants could be used. And so I think one thing we see in medicine often is great medicines being developed, a lot of money going into developing those great medicines. And then a question of, but how else can we use this great technology? So when I see someone with a severe disability, um, such as ALS, being able to communicate via their computer, 
uh, I'm excited. Sure. When I hear that there's a potential for that to be used in people with chronic depression or anxiety, I start to say, but how much should we use this technology? Who should use this technology? Well, that goes back to minimalist intervention, right? And empowering mm -hmm. the individual to be in control of their own mind-body and not make people dependent on, on externals. I've been going to AI conferences at MIT, and I went to Brain-Mind Conference at the University of California, San Francisco. I saw a video of a woman who had a bad stroke who was unable to speak uh, at all. And they had a, an implant and they used her voice from before the stroke. Mm -hmm. And she could think and sentences could come out on a screen in her voice. And her husband was crying. Yeah. It was yeah. like so profound. But at all these conferences, no one was talking about bad actors using this for brainwashing cults, et cetera. Jeffrey Hinton talked about cults. He's one of the few that actually named the word cult uh, with AI. But um, this just needs to be more attention to ethical approaches here. And you know, for me, you know my work from taking my course and reading my books about the influence continuum and the bite model and how we need to really respect a person's authentic self and their conscience, their ability to think for themselves, their ability to say no to question, right. as well as organizations having healthy leaders and checks and balances and not, you know, the ends justify the means. Well, we need to make money, so we're going to do whatever, or we have to do it or else our enemies may do it first, so we have to develop these biological warfare uh, uh, you know, things and like, yikes. And uh, we don't have the wisdom. We have the technology of the gods, but we don't have the wisdom mm -hmm. to use this technology. So it's very concerning. It is concerning. And I think, I think uh, having been in the technology industry, um, there wasn't there there wasn't that that ethical overlay, right? Uh, and so I think you know I see I see from the medical perspective, you know, we we protect data, and and we we you know I know I am very careful. I just took a updated class on um, on AI and coding because mm. I wanted to know how it was being used in the coding fields. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's, you know, we've got, we've got, um, continuing education credits. Um, uh, we have to stay up on our field. Yeah. Uh, we have to, uh, like, I know that personally I have to go through the guidelines, uh, for my state, uh, health association constantly to right. make sure that I'm within standard. Um, so in the medical field, we have these, I would say, mm, very, uh, strict regulations. Mm -hmm. On how we utilize data, um, I have to get a consent form from my patient for any type of, you know, communications, right. and that's a signed consent form. Yeah. Uh, so, so to me, seeing these two fields back and forth between the two of them, there's one in which data is just a object, right? In in technology, it's an it's an object. It may be monetized. 
Um, and then also um, it is kind of like a win, mm. if you will, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's it's like on the slot machines, you know, it's like ding, 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 ding. It's like the more data we can get out of people, um, fantastic. That's awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. So it's, it's interesting. Yep. So um, I want to push you a little bit more to what, what can we, the we meaning anyone listening to this um, that is thinking about this, what can we do to protect ourselves, our loved ones, and what can we do with our communities, with our politicians and regulators? I'd uh, love to hear any of your thoughts on that. That's great. Um, and and yeah, I think I think we definitely could spiral into a place of like, oh dear, you know, um, and I think it's really important for all uh, persons at this time to um, to find ways that they can run their life within this new place of data being everything. Mm. Um, and so one, one of the things I want to talk about is from from a naturopathic perspective, please. Um, and I think that um, a lot of people in the naturopathic world um, may not understand how uh, persons seeking holistic and alternative medicine may be um, acutely vulnerable to undue influence. Um, there's Luckily, there's been like a Time article that was written on it recently. Mm -hmm. And then also um, there's been a Guardian article mm. that was written on how um, there's a combination of far right and far left um, persons uh, that are utilizing uh, the wellness communities mm -hmm. uh, in order to push their political agendas. And so uh, one of the things I wanted to really look into was how this was happening. Mm -hmm. um, and so what I see, and, and maybe you have some some further knowledge on this one, I bet you do, um, <laughs> I'm happy to chime uh, in with what I know, but please. Yeah, it's that um, from what I see, uh, persons that are going into holistic medicine, alternative medicines, or even naturopathic medicine, um, I'm also an acupuncturist, so that's another area that has gotten, uh, I guess you would call a hit, uh, with undue influence from uh, actors that seek to politicize mm -hmm. uh, medicine and healthcare. Mm -hmm. And um, it looks like what what's happening is a lot of people who come into alternative medicine um, or holistic medicine will let me know, like, well, you know, I'm not sure I really trust everything from my um, medical doctor, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's that's something I hear all the time is like, um, or I don't, may, perhaps I don't trust uh, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, or some people are like vaccine hesitant. You know, right. I'll get some vaccine hesitant individuals. Um, I'll get people uh, who come in and express all kinds of concerns mm -hmm. about the standardized medical model, right, right in Western medicine. And and that's, that's that, as someone who believes in patient autonomy, I want to respect that. Yeah. And um, and I want to respect that, however they wish to treat their body, um, and is is critical. And I, I hope as we go forward with AI and healthcare that we continue to respect someone's autonomy mm. in medical decision making. But um, my concern is that that can be used as kind of like a a hook, if you will 
like this distrust of the system yeah. uh, can, can then be utilized uh, to uh, push political agendas. And it looks like that's what's happening. Now, I'll, I'll turn it over to you uh, because I know that you've got more information on that. Yeah. So in my research for the cult of Trump, I learned about fourth generation and fifth generation psychological warfare. Um, William Lind, L-I-N-D, wrote the first article I'm aware of on this, this psychological form of uh, warfare. Uh, Michael Flynn, you know, is well-versed in this and did it on other countries purportedly. But the idea is um, uh, to attack experts, to attack uh, science, to attack institutions, in order to create uncertainty and confusion and disorientation, in order to then program them with a new ideology that has certainty. So if you're if you're a fossil fuel country or corporation like the Cokes, and you don't want government regulation that will make you curtail your profits because you have a libertarian ideology that, that you know wants to just make as much money as you can and, and uh, buyer beware. Uh, you want to promote a distrust in science that there isn't any proof that there's global warming, even though there's 98% of the world's climate scientists say there's incontrovertible proof. And we have all of these catastrophes happening that should never happen in the rate uh, and, and extent, right? Likewise, if you're a, a Christian nationalist or a dominionist and you're, you are teaching the world is 6,000 years old, you, you also want to be anti-science. And it's very intentionally moved to the left and the right to make them more extreme in order to de you know, develop more polarization and to drown out the middle. The, the, the enormous numbers of people are in the middle, and, but the, uh, the extremists are occupying so much of the information warfare space, uh, creating confusion. So when when COVID was first identified as a, a uh, an airborne virus uh, that was novel, and people are like, I don't know, I don't trust this new vaccine. I said, you know, this is a new virus, never been seen before. We have this technology. I'm not equipped to be able to evaluate it. I have a very dear friend who's a children's hospital who has a PhD in public health. And when Elisa says she's getting it and she's giving it to her kids, I'm getting, <laughs> giving it to my kid. And, and I just said that publicly. It's like you have to go with people you trust who are smart, qualified. And that's another thing I want to say to listeners is like, what is this expert who's saying what they're saying? They have a PhD, but it's in English literature and they're talking about medical public health things like that is not a credential to trust <laughs> at all, right. you know, and be very like there are experts and human beings. We depend on each other and, mm -hmm. and we can't depend on Google as the expert, because search engines can be manipulated, there can be all kinds of agendas. So we really need to come back 
I believe, to friends in real life that you meet in person, not just go after you know, followers and likes by all these strangers online. I mean, I have 76,000 followers on Twitter with X. Some of them I know, but most of them I don't know. Some of them are probably bots, some of whatever. But the point is, is I have friends that and real people that I've gotten to know, and that's where I want most of my emotional and intellectual energy to be focused on and not you know, strangers and with untested theories and 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 such. But um, I do want to state categorically, people should be spending less time online, more time in nature, make sure they're sleeping, exercising, eating healthy foods, you know, like f- check out naturopathic physicians who, because to me that is so... Uh, healthy. It's a healthy philosophy of approaching um, healthcare that isn't just, yes, I am for alternative, but I don't care about facts. You want the facts and you want to be open-minded to other treatment approaches. And I'm going to share one more quick story. I had uh, a hernia procedure and I had the worst pain that apparently after the surgery and I had shots and all kinds of, you know, uh, injections and everything. I saw a Japanese trained acupuncturist. She put a needle in a spot on my foot and the pain went away. Like it was like, oh my God, how'd you do that? And it was like, oh my God, why did I allow all of these injections? Why didn't I think about this? But it was miraculous. And I think I think that's the power of um, when we work together mm. in medicine. And I think that that was, I, I've had a lot of really fortunate um, conversations mm. here in the, um, in the Seattle area. Uh, you know, I'm in Washington State and that's where I practice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... Luckily, here in Washington State, we have collaborative uh, healthcare. Mm. I see that um, Harvard is working more collaboratively with um, uh, with different alternative and holistic models. Mm. I, I like that. I like that there's a lot of um, larger institutions now, larger medical schools within the United States and abroad that are working in, with holistic models as well. Because I think we could we could have so much more power in, in medicine, in healthy medicine, if we look at what works for people. And um, we know that like uh, there was some research done that, that they found like two thirds of all adults are using some form of holistic medicines Mm -hmm. um so and but but so many of them aren't telling their doctors Mm. um because they're afraid of what their doctors are going to say and wouldn't it be a great world where we uh, we both communicated to all our medical team i love the team care approach yeah and um and then we all accepted each other for for our strengths and what we could do uh for medicine um so you mentioned a few things that people can do one um Taking that pause in uh, consumption of data, I think that that's really good for our minds. We've got so much saying, 
you know, whether it be, uh, you know, uh, neurochemicals that are stimulated through the constant clicks and constant likes. And, you know, we we definitely know that our neurochemistry uh, becomes unbalanced Mm -hmm. when we stay online too much, when we don't go out into those natural uh, settings, Mm -hmm. like you mentioned also, those go for a hike, go for a walk with a friend. Um, there's a new program that was called uh, Walk with a Doc, and I was just really excited about the idea of people just walking uh, for health. And and so there's a lot of like um, different organizations mm-hmm. uh, across the country um, that uh, that are focusing more on time with other humans. Mm. Um, so I think that's great. Mm-hmm. I really also liked your idea um, in your course was to pause when someone is starting to influence you. Um, uh, uh, you you probably can say it better than I can, but I believe what the what the message was was um, that sometimes we'll be online and we'll start clicking on something, and then we click on something else, and then we click on something else, and we get down this you know they call it the rabbit hole, but we get down this place where we're not really so sure of that first thing we clicked on and how we got to this place, and that's a really good time to just step away and ask ourselves who are these people that are giving me this information and what are their potential other motivations mm-hmm. uh, for that? Yeah, and especially uh, if it's emotionally arousing, if it's trying to be fear-provoking or hate-provoking or, or uh, anxiety or you know those types of strong emotions, take a pause. Right, and the, the American Psychological Association just came out uh, in November 2023 mm. <clears throat> with a with a great recommendation. Uh, it was a consensus statement called "Using Psychological Science to Understand and Fight Health Misinformation," mm. uh, an APA consensus statement. At the end of it, it had um, uh, eight recommendations, and I won't go through them all. Um, well, but we'll add them to those... the blog, so you'll Great. send me the link. But go on, please. Great. Yes. Um, so I think that um, it really looked into um, ways that individuals can start to protect themselves mm-hmm. from um, from mis- health misinformation specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would definitely say, you know, if you're going to use a naturopathic uh, doctor, for instance, you know, make sure they're. I mean, if they, if you can, and we're not licensed in every state, but if if you know, um, you know, find a licensed naturopathic doctor if you can, mm-hmm. um, or find out who your uh, naturopathic doctor, if it's not in a licensed state, was trained through. Like who 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 were, who did they learn yeah. this? Was it an online course? Did they did they spend time in a clinic? Right. Uh, and so and so that's what you're looking for is is who are these holistic professionals and what's their training? Right. I'm going to circle back, if you don't mind. We have like 10 minutes or so uh, to go. But just to say, um, because it's tricky. You want to respect the the client's confidentiality and autonomy, but you also want to do a little more probing and exploration too. So if somebody comes in and says, uh, uh, I don't want the vaccination. It causes all kinds of problems or it's going to put nanobots in my body and I don't want it. To say, I hear you. Um, I'm curious, if you think back over your healthcare history, have you ever gotten a vaccination? Oh, yes, I've gotten vaccinations throughout my life. 
and you can go, aha, okay, that's really interesting. So tell me when you first heard the idea that mm -hmm. a vaccination might give you a nanobot and call their attention to it. In other words, direct people to the idea that they may have had their their a phobia installed in their mind without their conscious choice by an unknown actor or by a known bad actor and and explore it a little bit more but i'm a big fan as you know from taking my course of educating people how to tell the difference between a legitimate source and a and an untrusty untrusty source that lies that withholds vital information, that distorts information and such. And just be prepared to change your mind. Ask for evidence. The burden is on them to prove it, not on you to disprove what their claims are. I can't help but mention the uh, the Love have has one documentary of this cult in Colorado where they were hawking colloidal silver for solving all the healthcare problems and their leader who says she's mother God is turning blue, getting more and more sickly. And nobody can say, you know, maybe it's the colloidal silver. There's no evidence that there's any benefit. And in fact, it's a poison to put a heavy metal in your body because your body's turning blue. Anyway, she died a horrible mm -hmm. death, blue. Mm -hmm. And then the, mm -hmm. the, the, the people thought she was going to come back to life because she was God. It was just mm. so sad to watch that. And then the last thing I just want to add in, in terms of positive, um, potentially positive alternative approaches, is I'm a big fan of clinical hypnotherapy. Okay. And, and, when, and, and there's so much hypnosis being taught online by people mm -hmm. who have no credentials in mental health, proper training, the checks and balances. And again, as a clinician, I don't do hypnotherapy because I'm a cult mind control expert. I want to explain hypnosis, but I, I drew a line in the sand for just my credibility. Um, so I almost never do hypnotherapy. And if I do, it's with a camera and someone else in the room and just to really make sure that everything is on the up and up with disclosure. Because if you're doing hypnotherapy, it's often not that person can't bring a lawsuit if there's been hypnotic refreshment or anything like that. In any case, um, hypnotherapy is fantastic for pain control, but go to a a, a trained mental health professional who knows what they're doing. Uh, and don't just go to someone who, who says they're a coach and they're trained in NLP or hypnosis and they say that they're great. It's your mind. Protect yourself. Right. And I think I think when when you um when you learn the specific ways in which you can protect yourself, mm. you are more empowered yes. to go forward with different strategies. So when you when you understand how to check the credentials 
for instance, of the individuals. Ask them questions. There has never been a time where a patient has walked into my office and asked me about where were you trained, so-and-so, tell me about your training, that I've been any way hesitant. I, if anything, you know, I probably talk about it too much, mm. you know, because when no one ever asked me. Mm. But um, but I, I to ask me, ask, to ask the person questions. Sure. I don't think any person who's a licensed healthcare trained professional in this world uh, would have any hesitance to tell you exactly the questions that you're asking. Right. And if they do, or if there's any kind of like hedging around it, then then that would be a red flag for yes, me. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so so true. So um, if if you were being asked by the government administration uh, for your recommendations uh, for what we can do for the mental well-being of Americans, what comes to mind? Hmm. Well, I think isolation is so. Uh, such a problem right now. Loneliness coming out of the uh, COVID nineteen mm-hmm. uh, pandemic uh, is 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 on my radar. So it's definitely in the fields of you know loneliness, mm-hmm. um, uh, mental health, uh, suicidality, mm-hmm. um, and people really needing connection, right. like real authentic connections. So the more we can make people uh, or help people, I should say, you know, or make people, but you want to help people, sure. right? Help people find. Uh, trusted places where they can feel um, community support, Mm. collaboration. Mm -hmm. People really need to be listened to right now. Um, People come into my office and they want to talk about what they've been through and they want to be heard. And so I think spaces where uh, I've uh, recently on the DEI or diversity, equity, and inclusion front, mm-hmm. um, I've been monitoring a lot of like the the listening sessions that they're having mm. um, to say like, okay, um, you know, what do we really need in this area? And I know Washington State is working um, with DEI uh, specifically to say um, we really need to listen to what people need. Mm-hmm. Um, in all areas of our communities. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, feeling heard, feeling listened to, and feeling connected yep. is going to be a real positive way to move on to the next step. Yep, definitely. So thank you for being you and you know wanting to be committed to learning and growing, but also serving others, especially disadvantaged folks. As we wrap up, it's uh, still January, which is Trafficking Awareness Month. And you mentioned in your bio that you have worked with some trafficking victims. Any Anything you want to say about that as we wrap up? Uh, I, th- I think just that it is an important issue mm-hmm. um, and that it happens more frequently than any of us um, would really understand mm-hmm. uh, without without actually reading into it. Mm-hmm. Here in um, the Seattle area, we're a port city. You know, um, there there is definitely, it's going on. Yeah. Uh, and people, I think, in general, think it's something that happens in other countries or happens in other places. Right. Um, so once you start to actually evaluate uh, the different types of trafficking yes. that can occur. Labor uh, and, and sex are the two biggest categories. Yeah. 
Right, right. And so, and then, and then what leads people? Uh, I think I, I've heard at least one of your podcasts where you talked about specifically how do people get trapped into this? Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, what factors? Um, and then the other thing that I'm always a, a real big fan of yours on is, is this idea that we are all vulnerable to some form of undue influence. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's something that all of us could uh, maybe do a better job of, of, of understanding is like, mm. um, we're, we're all vulnerable to undue influence. We, we all have like a certain responsibility mm-hmm. to learn what the tactics are and, uh, and how to keep each other safe. Yeah, protect ourselves and our friends and our family and our community. Uh, Melanie Trowbridge, thank you. Um, thank you. Fantastic. And uh, thank you so much. And we'll uh, draft the blog and put all kinds of links. And hopefully we will uh, have elevated people's consciousness around how to, how to um, seek out healthy health care and also how to think about the future with AI and technology. So thanks so much for being on the Influence Continuum. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. That's it for today's episode of The Influence Continuum. I've been your host, Dr. Stephen Hassan. Theme music for the podcast is by Nasser Malik. To keep up to date with me and happenings that I think are important, please visit my website at freedomofmind.com. There you'll find in-depth articles about cults, mind control, and other relevant topics. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at cultexpert. If you want to develop a comprehensive understanding of these topics, I highly recommend my books, Combating Cult Mind Control, Freedom of Mind, and The Cult of Trump in that order. These books are a culmination of 45 plus years of experience and will really help you grasp the complex web of undue influence. I have also launched a new nine hour online course for anyone interested in a deep dive into issues related to recovering from undue influence in all forms. While this course is designed for clinicians, everyone can benefit. Remember, love is stronger than mind control. And thanks for listening.